Dear Brambling, it's your Uncle Luke here. having a great day today. I hope, you know, you're you're enjoying what life has to bring to you. Today is shaping up to be a really nice day. I think the weatherman may have lied because, uh, you know, it's looking kind of sunny when he said it's supposed to be raining all day and, you know, the birds are chirping and the flowers are blooming and the pollen is out and I'm sneezing a bit, but that's okay because I love spring. I really do. I love the the warmer temperatures. I love that it's not too hot. It's not too cold. It does rain a lot here in Vancouver, so that's kind of crappy, but c'est la vie. But yeah, so today we are heading into the second archetype of my eight-week journey with Scott Harris talking about the masculine archetypes. Now, if you didn't catch the last two-parter talking about the magician archetype with Scott, I definitely recommend that you uh, go back and maybe listen to those. I know that in the first part, we definitely talk about why speaking with the archetype, speaking in a language that is archetypal, can be really effective for generating self-compassion for yourself. We also uh, dive into uh, some of the different types of magician figures and shadows that can uh, exist within one psyche and how they kind of operate within us. And um, it's definitely a great first window into understanding or getting to know when someone talks archetypically. Today, however, we are going to be diving into the warrior archetype. And I, I feel like I do need to put a little bit of a disclaimer on this one because it gets really intense. We talk about some really, really hard things, and I believe this was maybe even one day after Twitch, the world-famous dancer, had killed himself. And uh, Scott and I were really just reeling and discussing and trying to heal our best after the devastating news when Twitch took his own life. We also dive into why we think that suicide is a function of the shadow warrior and how do we uh, com- combat these feelings how do we um, give ourselves compassion when it comes to such extreme self-hatred yeah i think this uh, first parter of the warrior conversation is incredibly important especially for me and especially for those who might be struggling with some suicidal thoughts as well. I'm not saying that we are perfect. I'm not saying that we know exactly how to help and cure and heal what maybe you might be going through if you ever have gone through something like this. I think all we are really trying to discuss in this conversation is our journeys when it comes to extreme self-hatred and, you know, where is that line between self-hatred and self-harm and taking one's life. I think it's really important that uh, you give this conversation a try. I definitely recommend that you listen to your own limits and boundaries. And if you need to pause, if you need to stop, that is okay. I also want to just recommend that if there is something that resonates with you or if there's something that um, you want to talk about, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at uh, Lucatronosaurus Rex, and maybe I might be able to help in some way. I don't know. I would just love to really truly just talk about these conversations that I'm recording with others and, you know, keep the conversation going. 
because I don't want it to stop. And yeah, I, I love you all. So without any further ado, I would love to just jump into this conversation and uh, yeah, I'll see you on the other side. Hello, Scott. How's it going? Welcome back. <laughs> Round two. Round two. I can't believe it. Round two. That's so wild. Week two. And again, the only day of the week, I am having a second cup of coffee. <laughs> I'm on my first. I'm going to do my best like to not get too lit like last time. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. <laughs> that was crazy. I need to catch up. It was nuts. And it's like two back-to-back cups, essentially. It's not like there's a gap. It's Ooh. it's it's pretty much back-to-back. So Kind of like chain drinking it. Yeah. So delicious, though. Mm-hmm. It warms my heart every single day. <laughs> I, was, I was recently talking about I wanted to try a 48-hour fast. Oh, wow. Uh, 24 hours I could do, no problem. That would be pretty easy breezy for me. The only problem is it's not the food I'm thinking about. It's it's not all that stuff that I will miss. It's the coffee. <laughs> yeah. Not not having coffee for even two mornings is just like, oh boy. Mm. That's that's where my challenge would lie, to be totally upfront. I think I could get through it a lot easier with coffee, but Wow. Forty eight hours of like no eating as well though. Yep. Just water only. Wow. Now tell me more. Why why would one want to do this? Well, aside from the fact that I think there's a bit of discipline involved there, you know, kind of kind of strengthening a little bit of your discipline. The physiological benefits are really good for your digestive system. Oh, giving your digestive system that break because our digestive system is always working. Like we eat so much every day mm-hmm. periodically that it's always going to town. Like it's always working. And the big one too is that your body cleans out in that time a lot of your dead cells. And from my understanding, these the it's called autophagy. Your body starts to produce ketones. Actually speaking of warrior, what's really cool is the idea that back in the tribal hunter days, a lot of those hunters were hunting fasted. Like they were not starving. But actually those added ketones is what gave them that focus and that clarity to shoot their bow and arrow and capture their prey. But they were oftentimes, the warriors and the hunters, they were hunting on an empty stomach. They didn't just pound back a protein smoothie and <laughs> and and start hunting down some buffalo or whatever. So it's kind of fascinating. And I think we do tend to overeat. And I think fasting also teaches us to appreciate even just the simple act of eating. It reminds me of when we did the meditation class class together. And you remember that one day where we finished the meditation, we all just kind of sat in a circle. And then we had the, I think it was like the chai tea, but there was also one lesson where we had a single grape Mm. and we were told to just hold that in our hand. And then he had us place it in our mouth, but not chew. We weren't allowed to chew right away. And then when we were allowed to chew, it was to chew it slowly. And I think it teaches us to be more mindful of what we're putting in our body, more mindful of just the act. The simple mm. act of eating because we do it so automatically. Like, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat this. Rawr, 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 rawr. And then it's done. Yeah. 
So yeah, there's a lot of benefits to fasting and uh, aside from the physiological benefits, but it is good for your body to clean out all those dead cells and um, give that digestive system a rest. Kind of, you know, I saw one recently where Chris Hemsworth did one on his, was the Disney Plus show, uh, Limitless, and he did a four-day fast. Holy crap. Yeah. And he was doing it with two of his friends who bailed halfway through and started eating pizza in front of him. And I'm like, Chris, you need new friends, brother. Yeah. Wow. Like, imagine that. You're two days into four days and you're also, he had just finished telling the cameras how part of what's helping me get through this is my two friends are doing it with me. And then literally in the next clip, they're sitting there eating, not just eating pizza, but in front of them. Yeah, he was not impressed. So four days would be incredibly, I would love to try that one day. But my first goal is let's see if I can do 48 hours. Maybe one day I might try it. I don't know. I don't know if I'm quite there yet. I still have a lot of fear to work through when it comes to that do you ever get that like weird, crunchy, weird feeling when you're hungry and it kind of feels like something is falling and I don't even know how to describe it. Just it hurts. It hurts me when I feel that. <laughs> a, a crunchy feeling? Jeez, I don't. Mm. I describe it as crunchy, but mainly because like I can also hear at like the back of my head this like almost like you're walking on sand kind of sound and it really leads into my body and I, then I feel like my whole body just starting to shrivel up a little bit and it starts to hurt like my stomach my my chest my throat my head everything just kind of starts to when you're hungry yeah I don't know if that that makes sense it's just it feels and sound like I can even hear it sometimes mm -hmm. it's like I'm walking on sand it's like that crunchy kind of feeling yeah i don't know i need to work past that <laughs> i don't know if i get crunchy feeling but i just it, my biggest challenge is at night trying to sleep if i'm hungry like if i'm laying in bed and my stomach's gurgling or it's empty uh, it's i have a hard time just allowing myself to fall asleep because i have fasted before i've done intermittent fasting where we would fast for 16 hours and then only eat for an eight hour window wow so oftentimes in that 16 hours i would still go to bed a little bit hungry but yeah, the stomach gets a little crunchy and then I get a bit hangry too. Chris Hemsworth looked pretty hangry on day three, man. He was looking, you could tell. But you get these energy bursts too that happen and that's the ketones. As I mentioned, I just, I actually think, goes back to, I think we had this conversation before about we're addicted to comfort. And to be honest, people will do anything to avoid discomfort. It's like fasting and cold showers are probably the top two things where it's like, why would I do that? I don't want to do that. Yeah. And I and I'm always in that mind frame of like challenge yourself. Do something that puts you out of your comfortable existence. Like something that just pushes you a little bit. I mean, that's that's how we grow. Yeah. I hear that. Well, Scott, how's uh how's the week been for you? What's happened with you in this past 7 days since we last chatted? <laughs> it's been an interesting week actually. I had a really bad day this week. There was one day in particular, was it yesterday or the day before? Uh Tuesday. Yesterday was a little bit better. I don't know. I just woke up on Tuesday feeling very, you know, kind of burnt out, kind of exhausted. A little bit more anxiety, a little bit more fear, a little bit more worry was kind of starting to 
accumulate, felt a lot of emotions coming up during that day. And I think what I had realized is that this happens a lot in my life is I get in these stretches where my warrior and my magician, like they just are so working in tandem to get things done and to push myself. But within pushing myself a lot of times, if I'm not careful, that's where my inner shadow, my bully shadow starts pushing myself a little bit too hard. And then finally, my body lets me know that, hey, Scott, or my body or my boy, I guess you'd say, is just like, hey, what about me? I'm not getting any love or attention. And speaking of love and attention, it was interesting. I don't know if you can relate to this, but I also had these thoughts pop up this week of just feeling like I didn't matter, like feeling Mm. like everything that I work towards, everything that I'm doing doesn't matter and nobody cares. And it's just interesting how those shadows pop up. And as you know, having done this work, it's a much easier to cope with. But I definitely had those feelings where this week, do they just start popping up? And I think the key was I didn't I didn't judge them. I think that's the difference that happens when you've done the work is you judge mm. yourself last and you just go, oh, hey, hey there. Um, how you been? Yeah, I, th- I thought you, you know, thought you were gone, but okay, you're not. What can I do for you? In the sense that listening again to to what's happening, we want to do something inherently that matters. We want to leave something behind that matters. And I think a lot of times, because we're in a hustle culture, we lose sight of yes, that stuff's important, but it's also important to just enjoy life and embrace the journey. So, I mean, it's been an okay week. I love the Christmas season, but I do find I get quite the undulating waves of emotion sometimes where I'm like super like giddy, youthful. And then I have these moments where I'm feeling maybe a little bit more melancholic, a little bit more sadness. And I think part of that is because it symbolizes the end of another year. And I, I immediately go into this self-reflection of what were my failings this year? What were my successes? And I just feel this this joy and exuberance, but mixed in with this sort of sensation of impermanence and another year has passed another year is over yeah yeah and i I think a lot of it was triggered to be totally honest uh i visited with a friend last friday i grew up with him and spent a lot of time with his family and his mom anyways his his mother is not well oh and and she's nearing the end so to speak and just being in the house where where she was being taken care of and seeing him kind of go through that stirred up some of my memories and not just of my own mother, but of growing up. And I used to spend the night over at the, their house all the time. Uh, his mother actually just did some training with me not long ago. And it just, like, I wasn't super emotionally sad, but it just, I think, kind of coded the next few days for, for me of just, Scott, you work really hard, and I'm really proud of what you do, but you need to take a break. There's more to your life than achievement and fighting to achieve. So I think that coded the the few days and then it just kind of culminated Tuesday where I just exhausted, stressed, burnt out. And uh, yeah, I, I always envision it where my inner warrior is just like, he's bloody and bludgeoned and battered and beaten. And he's been fighting so hard for my inner kingdom. And he's just down on one knee sweating and just like, I, I'm done. Like, you got to give me a break. That's That's the image that comes to mind for me when I do that. And, um, and we can get into this a little bit more with the warrior archetype, but I think that's, there is a lot of shadow warrior that comes up for me in that realm of needing to prove something, needing and wanting to show people what I'm capable of and this, this need to prove myself and not really accepting how amazing I am already, you know, in that moment. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, you know what? It's funny. You're talking a lot about some of the stuff I was researching a lot last night. I was up to like 2 a.m. Just my my magician was just blah. So much to think about, so much to prepare. And honestly, I didn't really actually need to prepare too much. I think I just got very nervous because this is a big archetype for me. <laughs> and I really wanted to just know what I'm talking about, I think, is what I, I really wanted. And uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, you're really reminding me of this conversation I had with a friend of mine uh, when I was uh, traveling in the car with my mom to go say goodbye to my grandma for the last time. And he just uh, randomly popped into my Facebook chat and he sent me a playlist on Spotify. And it was a uh, all, these, all this music from a video game that he and I love called Zelda, but it's all this music but done with like a melancholic twist. And he said, uh, I think you like Zelda, so I thought I'd send this to you. I don't know why it hit so hard. And I started listening to the first song and I was really starting to feel that melancholy, but there's something interesting about the music. It almost felt hopeful and it felt relaxing and calm. And then messaged him right away and I said like, I get you, it just feels so calm and so peaceful. Why do I feel sad, right? And uh, he's like, dude, I don't know. I have no idea. And so I started giving it a little bit of thought. And I then kind of realized disappointment is essentially just unmet expectations. And I think there's a, a pang of disappointment when I listen to it, because when I play the video game Zelda, it's just, you know, Link is the main character and he's out trying to save the princess. He's killing monsters. He's exploring. He's solving puzzles. He's shooting bow and arrows and swinging swords. And he's got his shield and like there's magic and puzzles that he's solving and it's like it's just go 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 all the time and I think when we play this game in our head the canon that we create is this expectation that Link is always adventuring right and when we listen to this music that reminds us of Link's journey but it's calm and relaxing I think we feel this pang of disappointment and this pang of grief realizing that his life is not always adventure and I think there's a little bit of a loss in that because you know maybe Maybe we look up to Link, we look up to him and revere him as this strong warrior always going on those exciting adventures that we just love and we get filled with so much joy about. And um, yeah, that playlist was just really profound to me, just especially in that moment as well, going on this adventure with my mom all the way through British Columbia into Alberta to Edmonton. It's like a... Oh, it's like, what, a 19-hour drive sometimes? And yeah, you know, the, the drive was just so beautiful. And then we arrived to meet my grandma, who can barely open her eyes, who can barely speak, and is gasping for air. And it's like, oh, God, <laughs> this is really sad. But it's in those moments that I think life likes to remind us just how special those small little moments are. I think it was uh, it was the Bikram hot yoga practice that actually taught me the whole, you know, you got to stretch up to stretch down. Do you remember that? Yep. And uh, I think it's very true, even in the emotional sense that, you know, you got to stretch up to the joy, but that also means you need to stretch down to the grief. And if you want to stretch uh, up to the joy more often, you got to stretch down to your grief more often. You know what I mean? You can't really have one without the other. And sometimes joy is so much more meaningful because you've had that loss. I made a discovery this week about the warrior that I hadn't really 
absorbed or come across, I guess. I was going through my workbooks again that I did with Alexander, and these were actually his words in the workbook. And it ties into what we're kind of talking about with this, this thing with, with awareness of death. But he basically was talking about how the warrior is efficient because he realizes how fragile and mortal he is. Mm. Uh, he has an awareness of his imminent death. And rather than depressing him, it motivates him. And the thought I had about that was that's so cool and bang on. And I do really connect with that part of the warrior. But I think what happens, though, and this is where my workaholism comes in, this is where my pushing for achievement comes in, is that I am so hyper aware of my mortality that I feel like I'm in a race against time to make it happen before my demise. So mm. I, I think, yeah, it's such a healthy warrior quality to be aware of your mortality. But, but I think taking that even a step further, people that haven't done this work or haven't really looked into the archetypes, those warrior men or women that are really caught up in, in that pursuit, they've taken it to a level where they're, they've suppressed death. They're not even, they, they don't even want to think about it. So you know what I mean? It's gotten to this extreme where it's like, go, 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 go. Because if I stop, I'm going to have to face my mortality. So I got to keep going. But it's really, those are the people where way deep under, underneath that is this fear of death. So it's, it, was, it was really interesting. Um, just one of the things I uncovered this week was this connection between the warrior and death. And it, it just really brought a depth to that archetype for me this week that never was quite there before. And there it was back in Alexander's workbook. He said that line, but I mean, I did that, that course close to a year ago now. So to go back and read it and go like, oh, wow. And I haven't seen that spoken a lot, even with my interviews with Rod, like that hasn't come up. Mm -hmm. But this connection between the warrior understands this, this impermanence of life. So yeah, it was a really cool discovery about what drives, I think, our warrior instinct. No, it's interesting because like you think that would be more of like a lover archetype. You think that would be more of, you know, your connection with life and your love for life and how to cultivate more appreciation for it. But it it's true, you know, the, the warrior is probably the most vulnerable out of the archetypes. It's life or death for him. Yeah, he's the one out there risking it all. Mm -hmm. Or she's the one out there risking it all to protect your kingdom. And yeah, wow, that's a profound discovery. Thank you for sharing that. And the other discovery alongside of that is this idea of the, um, the warrior. Uh, Rod talks about this in one of our interviews. And it was interesting is that for a long time, people thought that the archetype most associated with suicide was the lover. Mm was the shadow lover. And he talked about how he really believes it's actually the shadow warrior. Because what's what's happening is when the warrior is in deflated shadow, there's no sense of self-worth and power or agency in the world. And the, the shadow warrior has no sense of self or they lack a true self-identity. So again, that was a very interesting analogy that came up while I was re-researching the warrior this week. Again, that's, you know, suicide is also linked. Obviously, it's linked to death but it's it, it's linked to this warrior energy and i think that again this week this concept of the warrior uh, everything uh you know the shadow warrior makes everything a struggle it's a battle it's a fight and yeah i think the healthy warrior is able to find this very unique dance and balance between fighting for something that he truly believes in something greater than himself which is why i think a lot of people like i i the news yesterday i think you probably heard about uh twitch 
Yeah, I was just going to talk about him. <laughs> and, and the first thing that comes to mind for me is here's a man who on the surface, three kids, just celebrated his uh, ninth wedding anniversary, four days before his suicide. He's dancing in front of a Christmas tree with his wife and uh, he's got a successful career. And it just got me thinking, and it happens so often, it's always the people you would least expect that are hurting so deeply. And so he, he took his own life and I've been really thinking about it. And also again, connecting it to what Rod was talking about with, with the, uh, the suicide thing is, and again, I'm not making any assumptions here. I have no idea what was going on in that man's life, but it makes me kind of wonder. It's like when people do that and they seemingly have everything, I think what they don't have or what is missing is this warrior sense of in service of something greater than yourself or doing something that truly lights your soul up. And on that note too, who knows it, it, you know, it can be a very clinical, obviously, depression, or it can be maybe he had a, a mental disorder of some kind we don't know about. Maybe he was borderline schizophrenic. Like, there's so many things it could be. But on that surface level, it just got me thinking about, uh, again, uh, and I love synchronicity, how that happens. Here I am researching the warrior and the warrior and suicide. Then this thing happens. And I'm like, man, like, we all look at that. Like, wow, I would have loved to have had that guy's life. Like, he looked so happy. He had everything. Why would he go and do something like that? But I think it's because, again, everyone's heard this thing, money can't buy happiness, but it's more than that. It's just all of those things that we think will make us happy. Nice clothes, nice home, beautiful wife, beautiful husband, beautiful partner, lovable kids, whatever. We think those things are what's going to bring us that happiness. Mm. But the reality is the warrior needs a purpose that goes a little beyond a lot of that stuff. And I, I think that's why a lot of times people can be seemingly happy. There's something underneath that surface that is just not there. And what's worse for him probably, and for a lot of people in that situation, is the pretending that you're okay. Like, that's the thing, is the pretending that you're okay. And uh, the shadow that's involved in that. And I mean, that I think takes people pleasing, maybe a deflated warrior to another level. There's a feeling, I think, in a lot of suicide where it's like, I don't want to speak out because I'm not worth it. So I feel like that is a bit of shadow warrior and maybe it's a bit of shadow king in there like cuz there's a lot of you know depression and low self-worth which is really heavily linked to uh shadow warrior and shadow king. But yeah, it just got got me really thinking this week. I don't know what your thoughts are on any of that, but the other thing I just want to add really quickly too, I did feel a bit of frustration Mm. because, you know, everyone starts posting suicide hotline and they start, oh my God, my heart's broken. And I get frustrated sometimes with that because I get it. You know, he probably brought you joy and uh, you've watched him on this show or that show. But it always gets me that th this isn't new. Like the suicide rate, especially in men, is so high right now. And it takes some celebrity for people to, to actually pay notice. And what makes me more sad is they'll do this posting, they'll do this thing, and then it'll go quiet again. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I felt this frustration about it. So I just throw that one in, into the mix of, of what I've, what, what emotions I felt over the last 24 hours. But I, I do think the more I've, I've done this re-research, I'm really starting to see, as Rod said, this link between lack of warrior and suicide. Because a warrior has a strong sense of self in order to go out and go after what he wants. And I think it's, yeah, it is this deflated warrior that leads to a lot, like the masochist leads to a lot of heavy depression. Yeah, it does. And uh, I can relate 
I think for me, we're talking a bit about the masochist, which is the uh, deflated warrior shadow there. And that one, yeah, that one is the strongest, I think, in me, if not maybe one of the strongest shadows that have been ruling my life. So everything you're pretty much saying was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, mm. that's me. My, my heart does break when I uh, think about, you know, how Twitch took his life. One thing, however, I've learned recently is, you know, this this whole series we're talking about archetypal language and the importance of our words and how they can really form and shape our psyche. And something that I find a lot of people say just casually when it comes to things like suicide is they like to say, oh, he committed suicide. And the word committed really infers criminal activity. And when it comes to suicide, I think that's also a very shameful, very blameful kind of a approach. I find that really just awful. When we say the word commit suicide and we infer that there's some sort of crime that was committed and just trying to blame people, it kind of feels like we're not wanting to look people in the eye when they're in such pain. It's so easy to just dehumanize them and call them a criminal. So it makes it feel you know, less painful for you to recognize that someone was in so much pain and didn't feel validated or heard or seen or understood for such a long time. Now we want to say that he committed this crime. I feel that's just so unfair. Instead, I would say, you know, attempted suicide or was successful in suicide. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a lot of other words that don't infirm shame, that don't infirm blame, and maybe also infer that I see you, I hear you, I wish I could have sat there with you and helped you through it. You know what I mean? What about, uh, I heard something recently like YouTube, you're not allowed to use certain words, and I didn't like this either, but they were using words like deleted himself or whatever. I'm like, well, that's just, that's just so technologically cold and sterile. It's worse almost than using the word suicide on any level. And just as you were speaking, I'm like, I think that's just it, is to articulate when it happens, it needs to be something along the lines of, you know, he removed his beauty from the world. He removed his own essence or, you know what I mean? Like something that like really triggers this idea of like, we lost a beautiful soul that is connected to the oneness of all when that happens. So rather than depersonalizing it, like finding a way to really bring it into something like, because no matter what, you know, whether it's Twitch or whether it's some poor homeless man, there, there is a tragedy where in suicide where, yeah, they've removed their beautiful existence from the world. The sad part of reality is, is when they looked in the mirror, they didn't see their worth, feel their worth or love themselves enough to stick around. And that is, that's so tragic that it gets to that level. I've never attempted suicide. I've never seriously considered it, uh, but I have had those days where I just, I remember in the past, my darkest days where I would just, I, I didn't really want to exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Like it might be, like I would never take action, but there was this level of just wanting to not exist on this, this world anymore. Not wanting to be here so it's yeah i mean any awareness brought to it is good i just think it's as a society we tend to do this thing where we we idolize and we put a lot of celebrities on a pedestal and then when something happens like that it's as if it's new i think it also goes along with people are more shocked because of the fact that like he was a celebrity he had everything that's what i want that uh, how could he not be happy and it's like there's so many reasons why and Obviously, he probably could have used some real deep 
therapy professional, but at the same time, the thought that comes to mind is, you know, bringing it back into some of the men's work or just some of the, the, the work that's going on right now is it is healing your wounds. Yeah. And I think no matter how you slice it and dice it at the end of the day, it's all linked to a wound and a shadow that was left unheard. You know, I, I try to think of, you know, where was his boy? Like that's re you know, like when you really start to unpack the act of, of doing that, of removing yourself, removing your existence, when you really break it down, it's like, wow, that little boy must've been so hurting inside and felt so unloved and so unworthy and I'm going to say this real quick too. I want to say it's also linked to the fact that, you know, you look at him and he has, you know, this lovely family. But at the end of the day, you can be loved by and adored by hundreds of people. But if you don't love yourself, if you can't hold the space for yourself where no matter what your king has your back, then it is going to be a struggle. Until I did this work, like I, and as I mentioned, I had a bad day this week and I get, and I have those days. But once you have the tools, it does change the game quite a bit. When you feel safe in your own arms, if yeah. that may, you know, if that makes sense, that's a really good analogy is you need, need to feel safe in your own arms. You need to be able to say to yourself that no matter what, my, my spirit, my essence, or my king loves me unconditionally and has my back. Yeah. Wow. For a little context, um, Twitch was a uh, famous dancer. He could play second in the popular show called So You Think You Can Dance. And then he became Ellen DeGeneres' DJ. You know, what's interesting is that I have had bouts of depression that have led to some extreme thoughts. And interestingly enough, they've all been connected to dance for me. And I'm not saying that I know what Twitch's story is. I just, what I'm saying is that I know that the dance world can be very toxic and very, very awful for the spirit sometimes. And, you know, I, I think uh, one of the things that was the most prominent was this disappointment, like I was talking about previously, but it, it goes a lot deeper than that. Disappointment, like I said, is just unmet expectations or unexpressed expectations and you know growing up in the dance world i don't know if you remember this commercial back in the 90s early 2000s usually on children's uh channels um but it was the concerned children's advertisements the most popular one was like the north american house hippo or uh don't you put it in your mouth don't you put it in your mouth um, <laughs> um, but they had a whole bunch of weird, uh, commercials here in Canada. And one of which that really sticks out to me is the, what's your thing? Um, my thing sound effects. Here's a T-Rex. Mom, Aiden cut me in half again. You know, like anyone who's seen this commercial is probably smiling and laughing right now. But, you know, growing up in that time frame, you know, my thing was Irish dance and, you know, I'd have this movie that would play in my head where I would envision myself on top of the podium, winning first place, holding a trophy, medal around my neck, and everyone just shaking my hand. Congratulations. Oh my gosh. And you know, like tears in my eyes and my lip quivering with pride and excitement. And I go to school and a lot of my friends who had no idea of the life I actually live. And uh, they would ask me all the time, like, did you win? You know, not really realizing the reality of the situation. And the reality is, is that I was almost never on that podium. Oftentimes, I actually wouldn't place. And to be perceived as this amazing, talented dancer, but in the background, in the reality of that world, I'm actually maybe just mediocre, maybe just middling. 
And what would happen often when I uh, grew up is that I developed this response of being really afraid of sharing my hopes and dreams with people because oftentimes people would then reality check me. I know that you as a, a life coach and a personal trainer probably are familiar with this, right? But have you ever had to like reality check someone? Like for me, what reality checking looked like was like, oh, you know, that's going to take a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And, you know, you're probably going to have to stop uh, with your social life uh, and you're probably going to have to be training and practicing for a lot of that time. And um, sometimes reality checking is great because we can really live with our head in the clouds and we can really forget, you know, just how harsh reality can be. But sometimes when people reality check, I think it comes from place of resentment. Yes. I think that resentment is fear. It's it's fear. Absolutely. And do you and do you know what they're afraid of when they reality check you? Tell me more. When someone reality checks you and it's coming from fear, what it is is that they actually fear your success because they're too scared to pursue their own. So if so if you prove that you can do it, completely devalidates their whole life, their whole remaining asleep or remaining in their stuck pattern. So a lot of times, I think this happens a lot more when we're younger in like early 20s and stuff. It's that thing where you want to keep everyone on the same level because if someone, whether it's your partner or a best friend especially or any friend, you fear their success a bit. Or you fear that they'll forget about you. You're afraid that uh, they won't spend as much time with you. Mm -hmm. You know, and then that's where you see these reality checks of like, you know, maybe their idea isn't the greatest idea in the world. Maybe it will fail. But a, a true friend won't give you that level of reality check because they'll just see the beauty and like, wow, he wants to grow. He wants to try something. So I'm going to support him. My dad used to reality check the crap out of me. He used to drive me nuts. Mm -hmm. it was it was and it was always usually linked to money. It was always linked to some sort of thing where it was. And, I, you know, his voice would be like, well, I don't know. Have you thought about I don't know. Have you thought? And it, it just he didn't even have to finish his sentence. I was already deflated. I was already yeah. defeated. Yeah, it's uh, you feel shame. I am opening up to you about the thing that will potentially give me so much joy. And now you're making me feel ashamed for sharing that. And there is a quote from the book Atlas of the Heart that I wrote down, which is when someone shares their hopes and dreams with us, we are witnessing deep courage and vulnerability. This to me really proves, again, that joy is probably the most vulnerable emotion we could ever feel. Brene Brown really coined this term. Um, I think Mel Robbins has her own term called the misery train, but Brene Brown calls it uh, foreboding joy. And uh, foreboding joy is this phenomenon that happens when we think about the thing that gives us a lot of joy. I don't know, like school's going great, relationships are going great, work's going great. And then immediately afterwards, you think, fuck, when's the earthquake going to hit? When's the shoe going to drop? Something that also could happen for maybe like parents is uh, maybe they're looking over their newborn child in the crib and they think you are the most perfect, most precious thing ever. And then immediately, I would hate for anything bad to ever happen to you. Or... Another example that I've uh, come to is, you know, maybe you're in a new relationship with someone and you're feeling all that lovey-dovey crap. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you find yourself telling the other person, like, you're so perfect, I don't deserve you, right? This is foreboding joy. And uh, 
I think the reason why us as a society, us as people, we, we have such a hard time leaning into joy is because when we show our joy, we're seen as arrogant or full of ourselves. And people want to cut us down for feeling joy, right? And so, you know, when we we share our hopes and dreams with other people and we choose this vulnerability and this courage, especially when they're telling it to someone who themselves really don't feel as though they're worthy of their own joy, I think their reality checking comes from a place of resentment. And we don't we don't allow too much joy and we do that sort of self-sabotaging stuff or fear stuff because we f feel like we don't deserve it. I mean, that's why we're waiting for the shoe to drop. When you really think about it, that's what it is. It's like you could have like struggle, 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 and then something good finally happens that you've been working towards. And immediately you're going to go, oh, yeah, it's great. But, you know, uh, mm. I don't know. I don't know. Like it's probably a fluke or it's probably this. And we immediately diminish that joy because we feel we don't deserve it. Well, I think we feel we don't deserve it because people around us condition us with this reality checking, with the resentment. And it's lack of warrior, dude. Because a warrior, uh, a, a warrior in his fullness isn't arrogant about his joy by any stretch. A, a warrior in his fullness believes that he is a powerful human being. He believes he has something to contribute. And he's strong and stands grounded in that essence and, and does believe he deserves victory. Does believe that he deserves only the best for his kingdom. I mean, that's what he's fighting for. He's fighting for that joy. He's fighting for that abundance. He's going out there to try and get these things. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's very much a lack of warrior when we. And again, I think it. You know, we'll get to that uh, archetype in a couple of weeks. But it is a bit of a, a link to that lack of king of self worth. Yeah. Um, and I'm noticing this much more and more. The idea of how. Uh, yes, the king magician are at the opposites, warrior lover at the opposites, but there's a sort of, I'm looking at the symbiotic relationships as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm finding that when the warrior and the king, the warrior and the king are very much together, linked towards purpose, career, goals, achievement, running your life, getting your, your house in order, like that, it's all linked around that, right? Uh, but then symbiotically, that warrior needs the lover to come in and temper his energy a yeah. little bit and keep him soft not always pushing himself too hard right mm -hmm. and and again that's when we get into you know i find warrior magician i have this interesting thing where i feel like what happens is uh i imagine when i get into workaholic mode what happens is the king is absent the lover is absent they're they're not even inside the throne room and what happens is is you've got this very passionate magician that has all these ideas that he know, knows his king wants him to see gets done as well. But the problem is, rather than the warrior taking the orders directly from his king, he starts taking it from the magician. And the magician, the magician is like the subordinate who really wants to be king all the time, right? You know, you see it in the workplace all the time where the assistant manager acts more like the manager. And it's like, dude, you're the assistant. You're not even the manager. Why, why am I listening to you? It's that thing. And if you let that assistant manager take control of everything without any presence of your king that's what leads to this warrior overactivation because the warrior is literally just listening to the counsel of the king or the counsel of the magician he's like go 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 which is for me why when i get creative it is this magician and freaking warrior together that are just kind of yeah they're they're their goal the goal doesn't change but it's how you're approaching the goal 
and the absence of the lover, you're not enjoying the ride. You're not enjoying and just kind of breathing in each creative moment or each step in the journey. You're just bowling right through everything. So yeah, I went on a tangent there. I don't even remember how I got on that tangent, but <laughs> it's okay. Thank you for sharing. It may, maybe you can bring us back to the, what the, what it was before I went on the rant. Yeah. Well, um, we were talking a bit about, um, when, when others reality check you, when you share your show, hopes and dreams, and when it comes from a place of resentment. Actually, real, real quick, I had a thought. The warrior is the part of you that shares that. He has the courage to come forth. It's your warrior and your king that says, here's my vision. Right, because like what he said, the warrior is the one that risks it all. Right. So when someone shoots that down, it's literally like I almost imagine the warrior pulling his sword out and declaring freedom or whatever he stands for. And then somebody just throws a rock at him. Doesn't even, not even a big rock, because at that point, you have to have a pretty weak warrior for it to affect you that much. Because it, you know, And it, it's almost like this rock hits him or the sword drops and he just bumbles and falls over. And it's like now he's laying in the dirt going, oh, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not so warrior ask. Oh. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think often what happens, Luke, is that sharing your dreams, speaking your truth takes an immense amount of courage. But if you, uh, I think it's Robert Moore talked about it with the king, especially where I know what it was. It's Robert Bly. Don't share your gold until you're ready. If, because if you do share your gold too soon, that's exactly what's going to happen is what we've been talking about. If you share your gold too quickly, there's always going to be somebody, a tyrant king that doesn't want you to rise to your power. He's going to shoot you down right away. So if you're not, yeah, it's this idea of, yes, it's important to share your gifts. It's important to share your gold, but I think you need a strong warrior before mm -hmm. you do it. I think you're right on that. I, I I like your little metaphor about, you know, someone then throwing a rock at the, the warrior's head. It really reminds me of this scene from Spirited Away. It's this uh, anime movie. It's a great movie. Right? Where um, I think, what's his name? Haku turns into a dragon and then starts getting attacked by a bunch of paper cranes. And the paper cranes just cut him like thousand cuts, right? And many people call what we're talking about can just feel like this small little paper cut, right? It will it'll hurt at first, but then it'll go away really quickly. But if you're being attacked by a thousand paper cranes, you're going to be left bloodied, battered and bruised at the end of it because you don't know how deep those cuts were. You don't know how many cuts you're going to get. What I'm trying to say is that don't blame yourself or shame yourself for having a weak warrior when your surroundings are like you're getting attacked by a thousand paper cranes. Oh, especially when you you share your hopes and dreams with someone and they're your coach or your parent or a good friend and then they too start throwing that little rock at you. Because these are the people that are supposed to raise you, to uplift you, to turn you into the human that you are supposed to be. Their ultimate goal is to raise a healthy human being and what they're doing is they're slowly betraying you, right? And betrayal is one of those vicious, sharp emotions that we feel that we'll do anything to avoid. And something that we often do to protect ourselves from betrayal is we bargain with our joy, right? We make a deal with the devil saying, I don't want to feel this anymore. So here's my joy. And, you know, I think the reason why people are resentful because it's, like I said, resentment, I don't know if I've said this already, but resentment is actually not an anger emotion it's an envy emotion 
mm-hmm. right? Because it's like, I'm not mad that you're sharing your hopes and dreams. I'm mad because I'm not living mine. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I had a dance teacher growing up who, um, especially when she was teaching me. Well, well, it's, just, I, I had a lot of acting teachers and I'll tell you right now, a lot of times it was these disgruntled acting teachers were people that never made it. And now they're going to take it out on their students, right? Because they never achieve what they thought. You've heard the saying, if you, if you can't do it, teach it, right? Yeah. I, it's, it's a very generic statement, but especially in the acting world, it makes sense. It's like, you know, yeah. You can't do it, do it, teach it. I just wanted to touch though on the, again, this analogy of like when you share your gold, being ready for it, I think that's part of this work is that when you're able to heal your wounds, when you're able to get to all those things that that could hurt you, you develop a healthy armor. You develop, uh, you know, I just envision this nice shiny, you know, armor to protect yourself so that when you do start to share your gifts, it's going to take more than that rock to even, you know, you're going to get hit by one rock and go, whatever. Second rock comes, whatever. Oh, wow. Someone just shot an arrow. Yeah, no, my armor's too strong for that arm or for that arrow. Oh, here's, here comes somebody now running at me with a sword. All right, well, I'm going to pull my sword out and take him out. You, you're just so embodying your gold mission, right? You're so embodied that nothing can, can really shake you. And yeah, sure, once in a while, somebody might find a little weakness in that armor and, and get a cut in there. Yeah. But even then you're able to see that cut for what it is. You're able to see that bruise for what it is and go, I'm going to heal this right away and keep going with the warrior. It's you, you need to have this protective armor. And then you also need to know in certain circumstances where it went to just remove that armor and be vulnerable. And, and, and yeah, that's where the love, that's where the lover comes in. The lover is the part of you that says, you know what? I don't need this armor in this circumstance. Why am I, why am I wearing my armor when I'm on a date? Right? <laughs> like, no, but it's true. And that's what you see, especially in men, this idea of like, I got to portray this, this thing on a date. It's like, no, 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 man, you're now on a date. We need lover energy more. So remove your armor, remove your shield. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's just interesting. Uh, Interesting analogy, yeah. but you've definitely hit some hit some key points when you know when parents or teachers do it, it stings a lot more. Yeah. And that is because we've we have looked up to them as the 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 wise shaman or the wise elder and their opinions matter so much. But I think at the end of the day, what differentiates somebody pursuing their gold mission and succeeding from not succeeding is a person who is able to just my belief and my armor is so strong that nothing can really sway me off of my course, not even my most admired mentor. I will take their advice and know when that advice is good and know when that advice is bad. And I think your king is the one that's able to discern that and go, you know what? What that person said, whoa, that really, that really, woohoo, that stirred something in me. Now, is that my, my stuff or is that somebody else's? And your king has that ability to kind of look around and go, oh, okay, hey, magician, can you figure out if this was meant to be this or that? Then the magician goes to work because he's he holds the keys to the kingdom and he looks around, shines a light everywhere and goes, goes back to the king. And he says, hey, yeah, you know what? There's a little bit of an unhandled wound here. Mm-hmm. So what they said is bothering you because there's a there's some truth in it. Or the magician comes back and says, nah, don't worry about it. That's just their crap, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, mm-hmm. that's another that's another kind of level. But I think, yeah. Yeah, the king is linked to that. Yeah, that part of the the journey. Yeah, mm. I think as well. It's really hard to develop that healthy armor that you're talking about when 
the village around you has a really hard time protecting your flame. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, of course. There's this uh, other word I remember talking to you about it once called schadenfreude. Schadenfreude is a German compound word that means getting joy from other people's pain, right? And I think that kind of comes from people not having enough joy in their lives that they think causing pain to others brings them joy. And it's very seductive, schadenfreude, especially when you're in a group setting. You know, there was uh, actually a Netflix show called A Hundred Humans where they took 50 of the humans and they put them into one theater and 50 of the other humans into the other. And uh, they started showing videos of people getting hurt or really unfortunate uh, mishaps, you know, like a guy on a skateboard grinding a, a rail and loses his balance and then crotches himself or, you know, a tree slowly falling over and crushing a house, right? Like some really unfortunate things. But in theater one, they put a laugh track and upbeat music to it. And then on theater uh, two, they put solemn, sorrowful music. And in theater two, where they put the uh, sorrowful music, after the clips were done, they asked everyone, who here got some joy out of that? And like two people put up their hand. In theater one, where they put the laugh track and the upbeat music, they then asked who got some joy out of that? Everyone put up their hand because everyone was laughing. And this is a great example of what schadenfreude is, especially when we're in a group setting, right? And we want to belong with everybody in that group. And if someone finds that funny, we're going to get this, uh, almost this viral infection of joy, right? Because joy is infectious and we're going to start laughing with them. Something that I think what you're talking about that we need, our inner boy needs when we're faced with these dilemmas of life is we need the opposite of schadenfreude, which is freudenfreude, which is where we get joy from other people's joy. Good friends, good coaches, and good parents aren't afraid of your light. They won't blow out your light, even if it gets so big that they get afraid of their own light, right? A great example is what you said with Chris Hemsworth, where his friends started eating halfway through his fast and you said he needs to get some better friends because they started blowing out his candle because they failed because they failed we need to be our own source of freudenfreude we need to be able to protect our own candle but it can be so hard when everyone else is actively trying to blow it out but i think but i think part of that energy that's very helpful in that situation is paying attention to how much you are also even if you're not doing it verbally like i've noticed this in myself sometimes because as you know i'm trying to advance my my coaching and my programs and all of that it's very easy for me to see other coaches doing something similar finding success and feeling that resentment mm. or that envious feeling and i've really been trying to correct this more and more and and you see what happens when i actually internally see it and celebrate it something actually chemically changes in my brain and my body when i don't have to verbalize it i'm not messaging them i'm not saying anything but something shifts inside when you accept and enjoy their joy and you celebrate their accomplishment because in a way what happens is by celebrating their accomplishment you acknowledge that it's possible for yourself absolutely a healthy warrior needs other healthy warriors 
Yeah. They need their tribe, right? We need to be able to protect each other because it takes one other person who's willing to protect your flame to help you realize that you're worth protecting. That someone's willing to risk it all for you as well. And if you want to go into a little Greek mythology moment, Prometheus is the one who saw more in mankind or humankind and brought them fire. Fire really does represent what we're talking about, right? Your gold or your your uniqueness, right? Mm -hmm. And Prometheus went through living hell to bring us fire in the Greek myths, right? Like Prometheus ended up getting bound to a rock where he would repeat the same horrible, I think it was the same horrible day over and over with like crows coming and eating his insides. Oh, jeez. Oh, he was, Prometheus went through absolute torture and all because he defied Zeus to bring fire to man. And Zeus was jealous. He didn't want man to have too much power. So he was in essence trying to prevent humankind from achieving or, or receiving fire and, and achieving that joy. So um, again, that's another reason I love myths for that reason because it, it just, yeah, it, it brings it down into this, uh, brings it to this whole other perspective. It, it does tie into that fact that a lot of times we are jealous of other people's flame. Yeah. I know I go through it all the time, Luke. I see it and I get, I get jealous. I'm not afraid to admit it because that's a shadow in me. If I don't admit it, I'm never going to be able to work through it consistently and, and heal that. But I have noticed the more that I catch myself going into that internal dialogue and I stop it at the pass and I start shifting that into, hey, how about you love and celebrate them for working so hard and stepping into their warrior? And there's this weird thing that happens sometimes too where we get so inflated in ourselves that when we see somebody succeed doing it a little differently than we are, we, we tend to kind of go, oh, why are, their way is not that great. Yeah. But what I'm, but my way is so much better. And how are they getting success doing it that way? Rather than shifting that perspective and going, wow, they're finding a way uh, because they're just being themselves and it's a beautiful thing. And, Oh yeah. I mean, I trust me, man. Sometimes when I'm on that social media, it's easy to all of a sudden get into that comparison thing and a healthy warrior doesn't compare. He knows that, you know, he has his own shining brilliance and he has his own mission from his own internal King. And it's fascinating how as human beings though, it seems like it's inherent in our nature to, to be envious or to, it's like, we, we fear that if too many people around us are successful, there won't be enough for us. Yeah. And you have to tap into the reverse of that and say, there's, there's plenty to go around. There's lots of abundance. Yeah. I've learned a lot over the last couple of weeks in uh, working on this, this group program and reaching out to certain people for help with it. Cause you know, they have a reach yeah. people I thought, and this is expectation again, leading to disappointment, but just people that I thought really supported me doing nothing. Mm. And I sit here and I go, well, why is that? What is preventing them? Are they just got busy you know you know they say they support what i do or they say that you know i have an important message let's say but then they do nothing it's a different level i think of of honor and integrity like if somebody i know reaches out i'm gonna help them and it's weird i just wonder if more often than not and i've certainly been guilty of this too so i'm not just slinging arrows at other people but i just wonder sometimes if it's this fear of somebody else taking our limelight a bit you know when we share somebody else's greatness or attempt at greatness it's almost like we don't do it enough because we feel like it's dulling our own light somehow but that's it's just not the it's just not the case mm -hmm. 
you know, I had this thought, uh, a couple of people I know, you know, from, I interviewed them on the show, Anya and you, and like they're together, they're doing this, this men's program called Braveheart. It has some similarities to what I'm doing. Theirs is much more, I think, uh, internal boy and lover archetype. And it's funny because part of me is like, well, we'll never share each other's stuff because we're competition. Like we're both trying to get similar clientele, blah, blah, blah. And because of the, the poor lack of response I've had from people sharing my stuff, I'm sitting there going, okay, but maybe this is an opportunity for me to now lead by example. Like I've had the thought of sharing theirs on my Insta story and literally just saying, look, the work is so important. Mm -hmm. I want you to find the right leader for you. That might not be me. Mm -hmm. It might not be this person, but maybe Ewan and Anya, they, their message really just resonates with you in a different way. But I just want you to do the work. And I think there's that's when the work becomes more important. That's when the warrior is actually fighting for something greater than himself. By doing that, you remove your ego mm -hmm. and you say, you know what, I'm going to share it. Even if it's identical to mine, I'm going to share it because I just, the work is so important. And I know some people might be like, well, that's dumb. You know, you're basically giving up the opportunity for this client or that. I'm like, but am I? That's them blowing out your flame, right? But the people will that, that are meant for me will find me. They'll ch they'll choose me, but it's just weird. There's this this thing where, I, like I said, I see them doing this, you know, similar thing, and and I'm like, I'm like, I can't share that because mm. it's too similar. And what if my followers go to them? Well, that's just dumb. I sh there should be no fear around that at all. It should just be like, yeah, the work is what's important. I want you to find the right person for you, right? So. And yeah, the warrior inflated, the, it, there's an ego thing. It is finding that balance between being um, defenseless and over-defended as well. Mm. Final thought on that is just, there's a tendency for us to constrict when it comes to competition or people doing something of similar nature. But I think the real challenge is to step into your abundance. And if the work is that important, if what you do for the world is that important and somebody else is doing it alongside you, you should be celebrating them and sharing. And I think if we can step into that, that's true abundance. That's just saying this work is, it's beyond us. It's not about serving my ego and being, I, I'm the best at what I do. So yeah, that's the thought I've had. It was linked a lot to this disappointment I felt in there's no obligation for them to share my work, but it just kind of shows you the, the lack sometimes of effort. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes the people you think that are going to, you know, really uh, help you along the way, they, they, they just don't. And it just had me thinking about it because I had one, one coach recently and she's uh, lovely and she was sharing my stuff like crazy because she's like, this work is so important. And She's not worried about me taking her male clients. Yeah, you just really start to see, you know, and again, I'm not exempt from this because I've been having the same thoughts. I've been having these same thoughts of like, well, I can't share theirs. It's too similar. And oh, I don't know, right? Guilty as charged, right? I, but uh, my point being is that if the warrior is fighting for something transpersonal, something greater than himself, you know what? It would be like saying, like using that analogy. Let's say you're going into, let's say the war or the battle is... And the ultimate goal is to bring it with men's work to bring the men in the land more happiness and joy and sovereignty if that's the goal you want everybody in middle earth <laughs> right to be a certain way and, and you realize there's other kings in that same kingdom that are running the same campaign mm -hmm. they're doing it slightly differently but the ultimate goal is everyone still wants to bring joy to that kingdom or to that realm why wouldn't you join forces mm-hmm why wouldn't you go, hey, you're doing something similar to me, but the goal is ultimately the same. Why aren't we not collaborating, but 
pushing each other towards that success rather than being like, oh, well, I don't want them to bring too much joy to the kingdom if I'm not involved. <laughs> Stupid. Like, that makes no sense. The ultimate goal is to bring more people into their sovereignty to empower them, to help prevent things like suicide, let's say, or deep depression. If that's the ultimate goal, then why is it a competition? Or why is there this unspoken thing of like, ooh, don't know if I should share it though, because they're my followers and uh, certainly don't want to lose any business. Right. I think it could be going back to fear, the fear of their huge, bright flame enveloping yours. And I think we were also just talking about, you know, how we so desperately want to leave a legacy and something behind in this culture. And if our flame is enveloped by someone else's, then are we just going to be ashes in the history of the universe? Or are we also going to be a part of that flame? Or are we also going to be remembered? You know, maybe I need to protect this because I want my flame to be a sovereign individual flame to grow big. But the reality is, is that you need other flames for your flame to grow big and just because your flame might feel like it's getting enveloped by someone else's your flame is still in there that is still your flame but look how big it is now because you're protecting other people's flames right this is a great source of connection and you can take five men or women doing the exact same archetypal work the exact same similar let's say the program's even identical Let's say it's completely the same program, but what's most important is that the person that's coming to do the work feels safe and connected to whoever their guide or their mentor is. So it just goes back to that thing where it's like, we all need to understand that we have our own unique flame too, even within whatever it is we're doing. Mm -hmm. no, two, no two people are alike and you have to learn to trust that your own flame is so unique that you will find your own unique clients. But if but if there's somebody, let's say, following me and they like my stuff, but they're maybe not sure they want to work with me and they're, they're but they're not fully resonated. But then I come on and say, hey, look at these other two people doing the exact same thing. Maybe something about their energy works better for you. Now, that person wasn't necessarily going to sign up with me anyways because they weren't maybe fully resonating, but now they are going to do the work because they resonate with them. It doesn't diminish my flame. It doesn't make my flame any smaller. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just that that flame is a better fit for, for their spiritual needs, their emotional needs, whatever, right? So Yeah, and when it comes back to Twitch, I just, I don't know what the story is, but I just wonder how many people were trying so hard to blow out his. And especially when you're world famous like that, a whole world of people constantly trying to blow out your flame to the force of like a hurricane. I can only imagine if I was in his situation and people were constantly blowing out my flame, there might become this moment in time where I think I'm done. I can't burn any longer. And that's the heartbreaking thing. I know, especially in the dance world, everyone's trying to blow out their flame because everybody wants that spotlight mm. and Twitch mm. being the most beloved dancer I've experienced in a really long time. I can only imagine because I know what the dance world is like. It is awful sometimes. And it is only in those moments where I experienced other competitors who understood that we need to protect each other, where I look back on our relationship and I think, thank God I had you. The biggest crime of what you're speaking about right now, in my opinion, is that 
how can something so expressive, so beautiful, and so moving behind the scenes be completely overshadowed by toxicity and competitiveness and cruelty? Like, you know what I mean? Because that's uh, dancing is very much lover energy. It is. But it's almost as if the dance industry is being run by, oh, geez, I think a lot of all shadows of the other three, I think Magician, King, and Warrior, there's all three of those sound to me like they're at play Mm -hmm. in in an industry that really, it, it should be the reverse. It should. It should be. It should be so much. I mean, because it's it's dance. Yeah. But you see that in a lot of the creative arts, like even the film industry and things like that. It's 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 crazy to me how something so beautiful and expressive behind the scenes is run by and ruled by really toxic, shadowy people. High expectations, right? Very high expectations that are poorly communicated, and then. They're unmet and they lead to so much disappointment. And what's even worse is I think what happens too is they, they snuff out the dance flame for people. Yeah. People that, lo- people that get into dancing because they love it so much, it loses the fun of why you did it in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's bloody tragic. Yeah. Oh, I needed that, Scott. I needed to talk about that so badly. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. There's part one of my warrior conversation with Scott Harris. I hope that after this conversation, you're going to take some time to take care of yourself. Maybe have a nice big glass of water, take a few deep breaths, and, uh, you know, maybe try that grape thing that Scott was talking about towards the uh, beginning of the conversation, you know, holding that grape in your hand and admiring it and then putting it into your mouth without chewing and just feeling it in your mouth, feeling the sensations, and then, you know, slowly chewing it and appreciating it. I also hope that maybe this conversation will give you an opportunity to think about think about that movie that is playing in your head right now about how you want or wish your life to be and maybe think about why it's so terrifying to tell that to other people. And yeah, I hope that this maybe gives you an opportunity to really readjust your expectations and You know, maybe it might even shine a light on why you might be feeling some pain right now. Because, you know, oftentimes I feel like in this society, and I think we talked about this a lot, but we are masking our pain so much. Because, you know, disappointment doesn't hurt too much. Mm. But it does. But it does. But yeah, in the next conversation, uh, next week, Scott and I are going to be talking a little bit more about the shadows of the warrior and their names and how they function, how they show up for us. And in that conversation, uh, we do get into some more intense topics. And uh, yeah, definitely a warning for that one. Actually, probably a warning for the whole journey. It's, uh, It's intense. And I'm very grateful for Scott for having these conversations with me. Yeah. And um, again, like I said at the beginning, if you want to reach out, please don't hesitate. I'm on Instagram at Lucatronosaurus Rex, and I'm trying really hard to get back onto Twitch under the same name where uh, I can play some video games, but kind of just be available to anyone who might want to talk to me uh, live. Yeah, please just 
if you need to, just do so. Um, I'd love to just keep the conversation going. And yeah, thank you so much. And to Brambling, just uh, just know that I love you. You are my little warrior, and I know that you're going to keep on fighting and pushing through. And I have all the faith in the world that you are going to be living a life that means so much to you. And uh, just know that you existing just means so much to me. And um, yeah, I love you. So I hope you have a great rest of your day. The Dear Brambling Podcast is a podcast dedicated to my little nephew, to the next generation of humans growing up in this world, as well as to those who might be looking for a little more guidance in their life. It is hosted by me, Luke Benoit. The editing and sound design are provided by MB Productions, as well as Hideout Productions. The music that you're listening to is called Sunlight Cascading Through the Clouds by Artificial Music. If you'd like to follow me on any social media, I am on Instagram and Twitch at Rex. And for those who are still listening this far into the podcast, I'd like to take a moment to really thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'd also like to say that if you are experiencing any difficulties or pain in your life right now, there is still no substitute for a trained coach, counselor, or licensed therapist. If you are committed to putting in the work and really trying to better yourself as a human, I definitely recommend that you go searching and shopping for the right coach, counselor, or therapist for you. 